Has Kentucky basketball's offense officially turned the corner this season, and can it be as consistent as we would like it to be? You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what's going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Daw, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. You can download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. On today's episode of Locked On Kentucky, we are going to be having a conversation with Locked On College Basketball's Andy Patton, talking about Kentucky's offense and then the consistency of this team. Can they hit the mark? Also going to discuss some concerns surrounding Hugo, Aaron Bradshaw, and Big Z. Probably not going to have any of them available for the Kansas game. It's just the reality that we may have to accept here. So uh, it may be a very uh, difficult time uh, against the Jayhawks here in about a week. Thank you guys so much for making Locked On Kentucky your first listen every single day. I want to remind everyone out there that we are free and available on all platforms. If you've not subscribed to the show, please go ahead and do so wherever you are listening, whether that be on YouTube or on podcast. So without further ado... Let's go ahead and get into our conversation with Andy Patton of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. We are now excited to be joined by Andy Patton, co-host of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast and host of the Locked On Zags Podcast. Andy, want to talk to you a little bit about what we saw from the Wildcats yesterday. We saw some interesting things overall from both the offense and defense. A lot of new faces to talk about on this team. Some we may not see for a while, which we'll talk about later, but The biggest takeaway, Andy, for me, watching this game from the jump was Kentucky's desire to get out and run in transition. If you look on Kim Palm, their adjusted tempo is like 250th, 252nd, but their average possession length on offense is like top 15, top 20 nationally. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, I may need to go look at this. I think it might be top 10. Uh, They went out every single time they got the ball, just about every single time they got the ball, they shot that thing up the court. And whenever I say shoot it up the court, I mean, it wasn't necessarily always like a man running up the court with it. It was like Justin Edwards, like throwing a full court pass to like get it into the corner. You got to see so many different fun things from this offense and the pacing was phenomenal. What did you think out of Kentucky and this modern looking offense that they may be trying to run with their personnel? Yeah, it's a really different look than what we've seen from in the past. Obviously, no Oscar Shibway is a big part of that, of not having kind of that that anchor down low. And and with this particular iteration of Kentucky's team, not having really anybody down low because of those aforementioned injuries with Bradshaw and, and Yenso and uh, not having a visage, I, I think that played a role in Kentucky's decision to just get out and go. But you said it. I mean, there was possessions where it didn't look like they were going to run. And then all of a sudden, four seconds later, you know, the ball's in the cup. Like they're just the, the freshmen. You could just tell they wanted to go and go and go. And they have a ton of energy, a ton of uh, just kind of facilitating skills. And there'd be a, a, you know, a ball out in transition. And you're thinking, OK, Wagner's about to pull it up. And then all of a sudden he gives a skip pass to Dillingham and they're scoring at the bucket. Like it was quick and quick and quick and unrelentless. I mean, just this New Mexico State team is a, is a really brand new team, new roster. I think there was certainly some uh, 
an element of, of unexpectedness with in terms of even for Kentucky preparing for this game and then for New Mexico State, just like trying to figure out how their pieces were going to look. But Kentucky blitzed them from the start and just wanted to get out and go. And I think even when they are healthy, even when they get some of the, the bigger bodies in there, some of the guys who aren't going to necessarily fly up and down the court the way that, you know, Dillingham and Wagner and Edwards and those guys can, I still think that this team is built to run. They're, they're built to push the tempo. And I think that as long as Calipari kind of lets them do that, I think this team's going to get a lot of points in transition. And that may help them when they do have some of those off shooting nights, which tends to happen with younger teams. Uh, if they can get a lot of buckets out in, in transition, that's going to really help them throughout the season. That was going to be my my second question here to to you, Andy, about like the consistency of what we saw yesterday. Mm -hmm. There has been a a complaint uh, from the Kentucky fan base for what feels like quite some time about modernizing this offense, you know, yeah. finding more efficient shot selection, making things faster, making things more fun uh, in a way. When you look at this offense and I understand it's only one game, this is a conversation that the fan base has been having for months now, especially since the addition of staffer John Welch, who was brought in to kind of change this offense and work on player development a little bit. Is this something that we are going to see this season that is dictated by Kentucky's personnel, their modern offense that they're trying to run, so to speak, modern quote unquote, or is this something that we are going to see Kentucky change to try and do for future seasons? That's been a question that the fan base has been debating for quite some time after seeing one game and after knowing what you know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I would like to see them be more of a, a, a tempo team, you play with more possessions, more pace. I think you look at this roster and, and you look, I mean, even in this game, I mean, they won by 40 and yet they shot 31% from three, which is not great. They shot under 70% from the free throw line, which is not great. They shot under 50% from the field, barely, but still not great. So they weren't it wasn't the most efficient night and, and particularly in the first half uh, you, know, you could just see them kind of struggling to adjust and, and is kind of similar to what happened in their exhibition games as well. Slower starts. They were magnetic in the second half. I mean, they scored 49 points in the second half that beat New Mexico state literally just in the second half of this game. So I think the more pace that they play with, the more ability to get out in transition. I mean, I don't think Calipari could even stop. Rob Dillingham and Justin Edwards from getting out in transition. Like those guys are built to do that. Like that is the style of play that even from just watching this game and the exhibitions and some global jam stuff, like that's what these guys are, are capable of doing. That's their ability and their skill set. I think you have to let them operate in that way because frankly, this team's going to shoot sub 30% from three. They're going to have games like that. You know, I know we'll get to Antonio Reeves and Trey Mitchell and some of the veteran guys a little bit, but if they're not knocking down open shots, knocking down threes at the clip that we know they're capable of, yeah. this offense could struggle. And in years past, teams that didn't get out in transition, and we saw this last year with this team when Frederick wouldn't shoot well, when Reeves wouldn't shoot well last year, they would struggle. They would get kind of stagnant. But I think this iteration of this Kentucky team, again, we'll see what it looks like when the bigs come in, is going to kind of be able to curb that issue because yeah, maybe they have an off shooting night, but you know, they're not going to beat teams by 40 by shooting 31% from three all that often, but they proved that they can. And I think we're going to continue to see that more. I think they're going to continue to get out and transition. I think Calipari should let them do that as much as possible. I think it's the right direction to go. You look at some of the best college basketball teams in the country uh, year in and year out. A lot of them have been playing at that more, uh, you know, more possessions, more tempo, more pace. Not all of them. You know, Virginia obviously is a counterexample. St. Mary's is a counterexample. But for the most part, I think a lot of the best teams right now are getting out in transition. 
and this team is really built to do so. And I hope for Kentucky's sake, that's what they continue to do because I think that's their best path to, to having the kind of season they need to have this year in Lexington. You talk about the consistency there with the offense and about how there will be nights when where this team does struggle overall, despite maybe putting some points up and getting fast break points. They got 25 in this contest. And mm-hmm. something I continued to say whenever you and I talked, whenever you and Isaac Shade, or whenever I and Isaac Shade would hop mm-hmm. on the the other uh, host of Locked on College Basketball podcast, we would talk about, you know, what is this team going to be? What's it, what are they going to look like? And I've said this a bunch on my show recently. I said it with you guys. This team may not be as elite as some expect them to because of the inexperience, but they're going to have, this team's going to be a highlight reel. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's going to be fast paced. It's going to be energetic. The shots may not fall, but they're going to be thrown up there. So I I think that taking this in stride and just learning to accept early on in the season that this team is young, they are short, they're shorthanded and they are still trying to figure things out. uh, I think is where we kind of need to lie here Although at the same time, I think there is some expectation uh, for the Wildcats to perform better than they did last year, because on paper, this is a more talented team. And a lot of it revolves around what can this offense do? How can they score more efficiently? How can they score more, period? How can they get more possessions going? And I think we're going to see stuff like that throughout the season. It's just whether or not they can get better at that um, as the year goes on. One, One final thing here about the offense that I wanted to ask you about. You talked about Rob Dillingham and how he controlled the pace in this game. Justin Edwards, another player. But DJ Wagner and Rob Dillingham, I wanted to focus on them for just a second here. Rob Dillingham led the game in scoring with 17 points. DJ Wagner had 13 points on 6 of 13 shooting. 1 of 5 from 3, just was not able to hit a couple of wide open shots, and then also took a couple that were probably ill-advised. The 1-3 he had was this really nice ISO bucket where he backed his man down and hit a step back 3. But what do you think about Kentucky's point guard position right now? There's been a conversation with Dillingham playing so well before the season started and now as the season started about whether or not he should be getting more minutes or starting. That's another conversation that this fan base has been pretty heated over. What do you think about PG right now for UK? Yeah, Dillingham has looked excellent. I mean, he's looked out, he looked absolutely phenomenal in the scrimmage game. He looked good in the exhibition games. He's looked he looked great against New Mexico State. Like this, this young man is playing extremely well. And you have to honor guys who are doing that. I mean, you don't have to put him in the starting lineup. I think you could even make an argument that that him coming off the bench is part of the success that he's having. Mm-hmm. And that's a fair argument to potentially have there. But I mean, between these two guys, yeah, they shot. Three of 11 from three between the two of them. Uh, Wagner, one of five. Uh, Dillingham, two of six. Not great outside shooting, but I think the key for them is that as two freshmen in their very first collegiate game, playing this big up-tempo offense, which one of the downsides of that type of offense tends to be more turnovers, these two guys combined for seven assists and one turnover. That is phenomenal. And that's obviously not, it's not always going to be the case. There are certainly going to be games where, where we see some turnovers become an issue for Coach Cal's squad. But for them to be able to do that, to prove that they can push the pace, they can make those skip passes, they can get out in transition, they can you know, run the half-court offense when they need to and still take care of the basketball is unbelievably critical. I think you talk about younger teams and why they don't always succeed and why we value veteran guards in March. Like that's something that Isaac and I talk about so much on Locked On College Basketball. Like who's going to win the tournament? Like look at the team that has veteran guards. But part of the reason for that is because they are less likely to be turnover prone. They're not going to make as many mistakes. If Kentucky can do it with freshmen, 
again, it's going to change, but like this is an incredibly good start for them in terms of taking care of the basketball while running the type of offense that I think better fits the skill set of the current roster. That is that's about as good as you can ask for. In terms of whether Dillingham starts, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if it should happen. I don't think you're benching Reeves after a couple of questionable games. That's way too early to make that kind of decision. Uh, and certainly things will change more when Bradshaw's healthy, if Avisic gets cleared, all that stuff. But I think right now the the combo of those two guys and the way they've been playing is is it's hard to have any complaints. It's it's very difficult to and and something I think that we have kind of identified. Uh, during the second exhibition and now through this game is that Kentucky just as a whole is just really not turning the ball over a whole lot while trying to run up and down the floor and be as aggressive as they are on offense, which is, like you said, not going to stay the same probably, but if it does stay somewhat the same, it's going to be a, a pretty good year because Kentucky can find ways to score the basketball. Uh, they only, I don't, if I'm not mistaken, they didn't have a single turnover in their exhibition game, second exhibition game until like late in that contest. And only have six total in this one, three of them coming from Justin Edwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really like what you see out of your point guard spot and as you, out of your guard spot uh, as a whole. Uh, Andy, I, I want to dive into talking a little bit more about the consistency of this team, about with this shortened rotation, these guys needing to step up more often, especially in some of these bigger non-conference games, obviously the big one being Kansas here in about a week. I want to dive into that conversation in just a second. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at FanDuel. You can score early this NFL season with America's number one sports book, FanDuel. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets without winning or with winning any uh, $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. And if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more on top of that. So you need to visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off your NFL season. That is FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, continuing along here on Locked On Kentucky, Lance Dahl, Andy Patton, hanging out here with you. Really appreciate you guys making Locked On Kentucky your first listen every single day. Andy, before we continue, let everybody know where they can find all of your content. I have been uh, tr- preaching to my my listeners now as the season has gone un- gotten underway. I'm like, listen, if you want to know about anything going on in college basketball, there's one place you need to go, Andy. Tell them where they need to check it out. I appreciate that. It's Locked On College Basketball. You can find it on YouTube. Wherever you find Locked On Kentucky, you can find Locked On College Basketball. It's there. All your preferred podcast platforms as well. You can find me on Twitter at Andy Patton CBB. You can find my co-host Isaac Shade on Twitter, Isaac Shade, S-C-H-A-D-E. Uh, yeah, and we're, we're talking college hoops 24-7. We got a Discord channel as well. We got a, a link to that up on our Twitter accounts. If you want to click there, you can join us and talk college basketball with us on Discord. But yeah, we're we, we got plenty of Kentucky talk, of course, but we're talking all sorts of things in college hoops. So if you're looking for top 25s, bold predictions, uh, updates on different games as they go along, like that's 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 the place to be. 
Yeah, I'm going to need an update on what on earth happened to Michigan State last <laughs> night. I mean, that was just extremely painful to watch there, especially what happened there late in overtime. Yeah. But uh, Locked on College Basketball Podcast, wherever you get your podcast on YouTube. Phenomenal work from Patton and Shade over there. I want to shift back here, Andy, to Kentucky and their consistency. Like you said, it's not going to be the most efficient shooting, I think, from this ball club night in and night out. But what you would like to see is a reflection of more of the numbers that we were seeing through the Global Jam, through these exhibition games, and not necessarily in terms of like, hey, look, the team's shooting 60% and almost 50% from deep. Mm -hmm. I mean like, hey, the players that are going to be standouts in your shortened rotation at the beginning of the year are not having bad nights. They're having consistently good to great nights. And there are two players here that I want to focus on that we saw play great in the Global Jam, and then Trey Mitchell individually has been playing really well in these exhibitions. I want to start here with Mitchell who is going to be Kentucky's starting center for goodness knows how long. We'll get into that later on in the show. He, before the season started, was knocking down his threes consistently, was dishing out the rock, was gra grabbing rebounds, was being aggressive. You, had, you saw New Mexico State force him to drive to the basket more in this game, and it ended with, at some point in the second half, some ferocious dunk where New Mexico mm -hmm. State's like, all right, okay, we'll, we'll leave him a little room because we got to guard the paint a little bit better. But his stat line from this first game not the most impressive in the world from a shooting perspective. Only three of eight from the floor as the center. O of three from three shot 75% from the foul line, but he did have nine rebounds and five assists and a steal to go along with those nine points he collected. This is one of the most, if not the most important person on Kentucky's roster right now, because if Trey Mitchell goes down, you don't have an answer. You do, You just simply don't. And you need him to be more consistent heading into this game against Kansas. Talk to me from your perspective, from a more natural, uh, na uh, from a more, uh, from a more, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? From a, from a national perspective. Wow, I was halfway through the word and I couldn't say it. From a more national perspective, Andy, tell me what you are looking at with Trey Mitchell and his vitality to this team. Yeah, I mean, played 35 minutes in this game, and and there's no real reason that you would play somebody. 35 minutes in a 40 point blowout, unless you just didn't have bodies behind him. And, and Antonio Reeves played 35 minutes as well. And, and certainly they had some more options there. We could have seen more of Jordan Burks or, or Joey Hart or somebody like that. But uh, Mitchell is, is vital. Uh, he's critical to this team right now. And I'm not overly concerned about him missing three threes in a game against New Mexico State. Like that's not a huge concern. I think that three point shot is going to be there. But what I loved from him was the ability to distribute the basketball because yep. I think that's probably the biggest skill that he can bring in terms of what this roster needs, a playmaking forward. Cause not, I mean, him being able to space the floor is critical as well, just in terms of, you know, moving the defense around, allowing guys like Edwards and Dillingham to have more room to cut to the basket or drive to the basket uh, and not be, kind of be clogged up down there. I think that's critical. And I think when, when the rest of the team is healthy, that might be something that Cal's got to figure out of like, do we want to have somebody down on the block who's maybe taken up a lot of space? And, and fortunately for, for Kentucky, the bigs who are injured, most of them do have the ability to space the floor, which I think is going to help them. But for Mitchell, it's not only the ability to space the floor, it's the ability to, to recognize cutters. He had a phenomenal pass. I can't remember whether it was to Shepard or Dillingham or whoever it was, but it was a backdoor, backdoor cut. He recognized them immediately, put the ball right in the breadbasket, one-step dunk, easy two points for them. That kind of stuff is going to be how Trey Mitchell adds value to this team. He's probably not going to lead the team in scoring very often. Games where he leads the team in scoring, the 
probably something went wrong in that game if that's the case and and maybe you know he'll he'll surprise me and have some 26 point outbursts at, at some point this season but that's not what he's here to do i think he's here to to you know again space the floor make good decisions with the basketball not turn it over, grab rebounds. And he's not really much of a rim protector either. That's an area that Kentucky currently doesn't have a lot of help in. That will change uh, as their health situation changes. But I think Mitchell, you know, we'll see some inconsistent shooting nights. But the nice thing about him as a veteran who's been around the block, who's played so much college basketball in so many different places, like he's going to add positive value to the team on any given night, regardless of how he shoots the rock. Yeah, and that's that's what I've continued to try and tell my subscribers is that, listen, just because Trey Mitchell doesn't score 15 to, to 17 points per game does not mean he's not contributing to this team because at six foot nine, like you just said, probably not going to be the most elite rim protector that you have uh, on this squad, especially considering you have three seven footers in your lineup and it's no fault of Trey Mitchell's. It's just the current situation with the rotation that you have. And Mitchell, like you said, can distribute, he can rebound, he can do all sorts of things for you. He can stretch the defense out to that three-point line. He can make you work in so many different ways. And if he can, uh, every other night, be efficient with sh- with his shooting, he's going to be a problem for this t- for for opponents. It's just mm-hmm. against teams like Kansas, I fear for Kentucky down low. And I understand that Kentucky's probably going to be able to score 70-plus in this contest, I would hope, against the Jayhawks but you wonder about how they are going to go up against guys like McCuller, how they're going to go up against guys like Hunter Dickinson, who Kentucky missed out on. You and I have probably talked, we've talked about that quite a bit uh, throughout this year. How does Trey Mitchell handle the load here? Because like you just said a minute ago, you don't just play a guy 35 minutes Mm -hmm. in a blowout 40 point victory in a season opener for no reason. You don't really have another option And uh, we've not talked about this individually, Andy, but Jordan Burks is pretty much your second answer there. And he is a six foot eight. I don't believe it. I don't Mm -hmm. believe I don't believe that measurement. Six foot eight uh, was it was listed as a guard when Kentucky got this three star to commit earlier this summer. Yeah, Uh, was was initially going to play for Ole Miss. And now he's coming to play for Kentucky. He's been really solid in his role. He is not a starting five, even in a small ball lineup or in a he's not a start. He's not a rotational five in a small ball lineup. You would much rather have a guy like Trey Mitchell out there who is as a secondary option. It's a weird spot that Kentucky's in right now. Their consistency with Mitchell and how they do things down low is going to be crucial for how they play against big time opponents. This non-conference slate. The other player I wanted to talk about here with their consistency and this is a player that I'm not concerned about, but because but we saw this last year, and I want to see improvement. Antonio Reeves, he shot 40% in this game, was two of six from beyond the arc. He played really, really, really well during the Global Jam. I mean, just numbers we are never going to see uh, any sort of college basketball player consistently replicate where he was shooting, I believe, over like 55% from deep and was shooting uh, closer to six, 60% overall uh, from the floor. Reeves, I'm not expecting to do that every other night. But what I am expecting for Antonio Reeves to do is work on something that he struggled with mightily a season ago, and it's his consistency from game to game. I understand that it takes a lot of work to get to that 39-40% mark from beyond the arc, and sometimes you're going to have off-shooting nights. But you cannot afford to have your veteran guard, who's starting at the two, go in these big-time games in the SEC Kansas, North Carolina, Miami, what have you in the non-con slate, go 4 of 10 from the floor, 3 of 11 from the floor to do what he did against Kansas State, which is, I don't remember the stat line from that one, but he was like, it was it was something really, really bad. 
where you, you cannot afford him to just disappear. Now you have a little bit better of a, a, of protection around him, considering you've got three other guards between your one and two spot that you feel good about. But Reeves is your score. That's what he does is he goes out there and he gets buckets. What do you think about Antonio Reeves and his consistency in this lineup? Maybe you can talk me off the ledge. Does it matter as much? Should I be concerned? I'm not concerned about this game individually, but I do have questions about whether or not he can take that next step. Yeah, I think the the best thing that I could say, and you kind of touched on it a little bit towards the end there, is that there is more support. Last year's roster didn't have as many scorers, particularly in the backcourt. You know, Frederick didn't step up to be that guy. Wheeler was not that guy. Like Reeves had to take on a huge scoring role for last year's team to, to be anything, to be anything at all. And that was very clear pretty much immediately when the season started last year. I was like, oh, crap, this guy needs to do everything uh, in the backcourt for this team to, to reach their potential. That's not the case this year. And I think what, what will need to happen is that, that Reeves will need to understand that. And I think he probably to some level does. I mean, he's he can look around at his teammates at Wagner, at Dillingham, at Edwards and be like, well, these guys are really good. And they're, they're a lot of ball-dominant scores. I mean, Reeves was tied for enough fourth on the team in field goal attempts. You know, D. Wagner took 13 shots. Edwards took 11 shots. Dillingham took 11 shots. Reeves took 10 shots. And I don't think there will be that. I think Reeves will probably typically be higher than fourth on the team in field goal attempts. I, I think there will be quite a few games where he will be first. But I think the key is that he, as long as he understands, he doesn't have to be. I think that's the the messaging. You know, this guy who comes from Illinois State, I believe, is where he transferred from. Uh, wherever he was previously, he was the guy. And then even last year at Kentucky, he was the guy. So adjusting to, yes, you're still the go-to scorer. We put the ball in your hands. We want you to go get a bucket. You know, we're not asking you to facilitate. We're not asking you to go get 10 assists a game. Like, he understands that that's not his role. But I do think that an understanding of maybe not – feeling as much pressure on that or like, Hey, if you are having an off night, if the bucket just doesn't look that good to you, you're not, you're not able to get those shots to fall. Maybe it's a game where you focus more on attacking and trying to get a free throw line. Maybe it's a game where you do defer to Wagner and you let him facilitate a little bit more. uh, And you kind of are more of a spot up shooter. And if you're not open, you don't take shots. And it's not easy for players to adjust to that. And it's not necessarily easy for coach Cal to say, okay, you're no longer the guy. Like that's not how that messaging is going to be, is is going to come across. It is going to be more delicate in the way that that communication happens. But I think the best version of Kentucky has Reeves being a little bit less relied upon in that way and that there's an understanding there that he understands his role has shifts that the teammates around him know like hey when we need a bucket we can go to him but we don't want that pressure necessarily there and again this is kind of the caveat with all of these conversations things will change Aaron Bradshaw being in the mix changes things. If Avisic gets cleared, that changes things. Even Onyenso, like everything changes when those guys are there. You know, you're not playing some of the guys out of position. Jordan Burks isn't your backup five. Like things are a little bit different. And I do think Reeves being a little bit less relied upon may help him with the efficiency. And hopefully what it'll do is when he does have off nights, he doesn't feel like he needs to try to shoot his way out of it because last year he did. And sometimes he was able to shoot himself out of it, but when he wasn't, that's when you suffered losses that, you know, made people's eyebrows raise in a big way, uh, you know, for Cal party. And uh, like you said, the best version of Kentucky is Antonio Reeves understanding his role and and, in the the backcourt, therefore executing. And I think the best version of Kentucky on top of that is having their full rotation and allowing some of these guys to 
kind of slide into their official solidified roles, which we will hopefully see at some point this season. But as of right now, Andy, we are currently down three seven footers. And, you know, like my mom always told me, if you ain't got your three seven footers that you recruited in your lineup, you're probably not going to win as many games as you would like. Um, she told me that she was Wise telling woman. me that from she told me that from a young age, wise woman. Um, but I, I want to dive into the to the situation here a little bit further with Kentucky's big three and the situations with each of them individually, what we could be looking at moving forward, which one would be most valuable to have come back first. Before I dive into all of that with you, Andy, I want to tell uh, you guys about our friends over at Game Time. Ladies and gentlemen, this weekend actually is a phenomenal time to use Game Time. If you are looking for last-minute tickets to possibly go to Kentucky's game against Texas A&M Commerce, or you're looking on Saturday to go watch the Wildcats play the Alabama Crimson Tide in Kroger Field, you should head over to Game Time because you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to the next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all of different uh, different sporting events, from music, comedy, theater events near you. On top of that, they have killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. They take the guesswork out of buying tickets. They've got zone deals, which means you pick the section, and Game Time can pick the seat. So if you want to go to Rupp Arena or you want to go to Kroger Field and you want to pick a segment, Game Time will pick the seats for you in that section for an average of 18% savings. And like I mentioned with the Game Time Guarantee, you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less. Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. You need to take the guesswork out of buying your tickets with Game Time. You can download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem code locked on college for 20 bucks off. You need to download game time today. It is last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, wrapping up the Tuesday edition of Locked On Kentucky Lance Dahl, Andy Patton hanging, hanging out here with you. I am rolling through all of my different words. I did this on yesterday's show too. This is two episodes in a row now where I've nearly had a stroke because I'm just so excited that we're back with college basketball. Andy Patton. Lance Dahl, hanging out here with you. Going to talk Kentucky's big three that they currently don't have out there playing. Aaron Bradshaw, Uguna Onyenzo, and Zvonimir Ivasic all not playing for various reasons. To give you guys an update on what Cal said last night, Aaron Bradshaw is still one or two weeks away from being able to fully practice. Uguna Onyenzo is a couple of weeks behind him. And then Zvonimir Ivasic has not been cleared by the NCAA. Who is shocked by that? Right now, Kentucky is really, I think, going to have some interesting moments throughout this non-con slate. If they can't get a, if they get one of those guys back, it changes this rotation for the better. If you can get two of them back, you're going to look pretty darn good, I think. So with this all being known and knowing what I just said about these individuals, Andy. How should a Kentucky fan feel heading into that Kansas game in a week? <laughs> Man, it is such a bummer that these guys won't be. I mean, I guess we don't know about Zvonimir, but we, we know that Bradshaw and Yenzo are not going to be there. And it's a huge bummer because not only is Kansas first Kentucky the kind of game that you always want to see both teams at full health because it's just a phenomenal basketball game between two of the bluest blue bloods that have ever existed. But Kansas is really built in the front court. And that's what makes this so frustrating is Kentucky's at a huge disadvantage going into a game against the Jayhawks when they have not only Hunter Dickinson, but KJ Adams as well. And I think that 
the fact that they have two legitimate front court talents is really going to be difficult for Kentucky. Handling Dickinson alone is going to be a challenge. You know, you put Mitchell on him, you hope that you can maybe push him away from the rim a little bit, make him operate in space instead of being right back to the basket. But even if they do that, Adams has the ability to score around the rim too. I mean, they got jumbo-sized guards in Kevin McCollar, who's 6'6", and and is just a big, strong guy. Like, this is a a big, well-built team. And they really are kind of perfectly designed to cater towards Kentucky's current weaknesses, which is just unfortunate. I mean, a, a Kentucky team with a healthy Aaron Bradshaw, especially a, a Bradshaw who had been able to participate in the exhibition season and already had his feet wet with a couple Division One games. If that was the case, we'd be having a very different conversation. And certainly, you know, depending on how Bradshaw had looked in those first few games as rim protector, like, I think that changes this dynamic a lot. I'm certainly not saying that Kentucky is incapable of winning this game. That is not true at all. I think Kansas uh, is a good team, but they certainly have some some warts and some lumps and and may struggle early in the year. And and Kentucky could take advantage of that. But this is a huge disadvantage. And Dickinson is one of the best low post scorers in the country. I think this roster is built well around him to have that other front court presence in Adams, to have the outside shooting of guys like Timberlake and El Marco Jackson, and and to have one of the best peer passing point guards in the country and Dewan Harris. Like this is a team that's built to let Dickinson eat, and Kentucky doesn't have a more obvious way to stop him because they don't have, like you said, they're missing three seven footers. Like what do you do when you don't have your size up front when you're going up against a guy who's been an All American for his ability to score around the rim? Well, my mom always told me if you, if you don't have them, you're going to struggle. And if you if you don't know what else to do, you just simply got to pray and hope that things work yeah. out for the best. You knock down your outside shots. I want to read you and the listeners uh, some some pieces from uh, from Kansas's box score. They beat North Carolina Central 99 to 56 in their season opener. Uh, it, North Carolina Central, one of the worst teams in the country, according to Kim Palm. But um, it just want to give you. Uh, I'm so sorry. I just got distracted. North Carolina Central has a guy on their roster named uh, Po Boy King, and uh, Po Boy is spelled P O apostrophe B O I G H. That's beautiful. Anyway, Kentucky or is is going to have their hands full. I think in terms of what Kansas is doing down low, like you mentioned, the Jayhawks shot 78 <laughs> from from two in this game. <laughs> they shot 56.5 percent from three. They shot 80 percent from the foul line. Yeah. Uh, to go 26 of 33 inside the arc. I understand that North Carolina Central and Poi Bo Boy over there uh, is uh, probably not the best opponent they'll face this season. But um, Kentucky not having a single player, one of these seven footers in this front court, is going to make that game a nightmare for the Wildcats. It's going to be a problem. So final question here to you, Andy, as we wrap up. If Kentucky had their choice and they could have one of those three players back, Big Z, Aaron Bradshaw, you go, which one would they want to have back the most for this game against KU? I think it's got to be Bradshaw. And I know I know Big Z is a little bit bigger, and I think that having more size is always helpful. But Bradshaw is such a fluid athlete. He's a true seven-footer. He can space the floor. He can, He's a great rim runner. 
He's a good shot blocker, you know, and I don't expect most freshmen to come into the, the NCAA and immediately be good shot blockers. That is very rare. Uh, Chet Holmgren is one of the most recent, very good examples of being a rim protector right away, but it is unusual to see that happen. And, but at the same time, like Bradshaw has the athleticism, the ability, the frame to be somebody who impacts shots at the rim right away. And that's something that Kentucky just doesn't have on the roster. And again, you can beat New Mexico State and and many other teams on Kentucky's schedule without a lot of rim protection because of the speed this team plays at, because of the defensive abilities that some of the guards have. But you're going to struggle against teams with low post threats without rim protection. And that's why, the, I mean, that's one of many reasons this Kansas game is going to be such a challenge. But I think if you have Bradshaw, again, especially a Bradshaw who played, you know, if you if Bradshaw got cleared tomorrow and just sh- showed up against Kansas, that was his first game, let's say he gets cleared after the Commerce game. Like, yeah, you know, I don't know how much that moves the needle, but it still helps to just have that size, that frame, that natural athleticism that he possesses. But uh, if, if I could go back in time and change the injury history and, and have one of these guys be have been fully healthy or cleared throughout the season in, in preparation for that Kansas game, I would probably go with Bradshaw. I would like to see Bradshaw out there in that lineup as well. Yeah. Uh, Kentucky is going to have their hands full. It's going to be interesting. Texas A&M Commerce on Friday. Can't overlook that. Uh, Evansville, need I say more? Uh, Andy, I really appreciate you hopping on the show today. Tell everybody one more time where they can find all your content. You can find Locked On College Basketball wherever you are listening to Locked On Kentucky. We have our own YouTube channel as well. You can find our Discord channel uh, by following us on Twitter, I'm at Andy Patton CBB. My co-host Isaac Shade is at Isaac Shade S C H A D E. You can also follow the Twitter account for the, the show Locked On CBB on Twitter as well. Like we said, daily content all about college hoops five days a week on that show. Andy, really appreciate you hopping on, man. Thank you. Thanks. For- all right, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. Hey, you can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnUK. You can follow me on Twitter at LanceDaw underscore. And you can follow the show over on Instagram. That is at Kentucky Podcast. Any questions, comments, concerns, leave them in the YouTube comments below. Hit me on the socials. I will see you all tomorrow for another episode of Locked on Kentucky. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day and God bless. 